Welcome to Answers May Vary. Each week, we listen to your dilemmas and try to come up with workable solutions you can put into place to start improving your teaching life today. I'm Kate Harkins. And I'm Stephanie Handley. And together with you, we're Three Heads. Today, we're talking about independent reading and the struggle to find an independent (laughs) reading program that works for you. So whether it's because you believe independent reading is important, which hopefully as an English teacher, you do think is important or your school thinks independent reading is important. You keep trying things. You're following the suggestions that you see in Instagram posts. You think that everybody but you has an amazing (laughs) classroom reading program. It seems like no matter what you do, it just isn't working. I think that we all experience this at some time or another. I think the teachers who have it all figured out got to that point because they struggled. Yes. We are not now, nor have we ever been the teachers who got it all figured out. We were the teachers who struggled. (laughs) And I think we ended up at a spot where we were satisfied. We felt like we had made a lot of changes that had improved our success rate. But I think we're always open to new ideas and somebody who's doing it better than us. Yes. And I think we got to a point where we found something that worked for us, but we ultimately thought that it wasn't our top priority. I think that there are many people who do way better than we do in instilling that love of reading and reading culture, but it takes a lot of time that we decided to devote to other things. And I think that's important because I think in teaching, it's easy to feel like you have to be the perfect teacher and Mm -hmm. you hear about people doing these amazing reading programs. And at some level, you just have to find what works for you and be okay. Okay with that. And I think that was what we ended up doing is we found something that worked for us. It worked for our personalities, our priorities with Mm -hmm. our students. And so we felt this is something we can settle into. Yeah. I think a lot of times in teaching, and it seems especially with English, I can't Mm -hmm. think of another subject where you have to deal with it in the same way that we have so many things we really need to focus on and you have to pick and choose what is most important to you, what you think is going to be most beneficial for Mm -hmm. your students, like you said, what sort of suits your teacher personality as well. So this is one of the many things that you have to struggle with. And some of you may be thinking, yeah, I'm going to listen to this podcast, but what I have is okay. It's sort of working. And that's totally fine. There were many years where even though we knew the system that we had was flawed. We were changing other things. We were making big shifts to be a more digitally based classroom. Mm -hmm. And and so sometimes you have to put things like independent reading on the back burner and that's Mm -hmm. completely fine. I would though encourage you to listen to this and maybe just keep it in the back of your mind as you work through your independent reading. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things we debated as a department, but even just the two of us of like, do we need to do this? Mm -hmm. Is something that needs to be part of our curriculum? Mm -hmm. And ultimately we settled on, yes, not because necessarily students are going to get so much out of it or because we've figured out this great program, Mm -hmm. but because we felt like it was important to kind of make that statement that this is an English class and reading has value and we want to communicate that to Mm -hmm. you. And so we do want to find a way, even when we know it's not working or Mm -hmm. is not working how we want it to, we still always felt like we wanted 
wanted it to be part of our curriculum more for what that said about its value necessarily than that we had this great approach figured out. Yeah, we knew many teachers who had given it up who said, I know my students aren't reading or the majority of my students aren't reading, so I don't want to waste my time with it. And we agreed, (laughs) but we also said we can know that to be true, but we can't give in to that just because a student isn't valuing reading that we say, okay, yeah, we Mm. we aren't valuing it either. So there are a couple of things that we need to be honest with from the beginning. (laughs) Most kids don't like to read Mm -hmm. and they won't do it. And that's gotten worse as technology has taken a bigger and bigger role in our lives for us too. I can't think of the number of hours that I could have spent (laughs) reading a book while instead I was watching YouTube or (laughs) scrolling Instagram or (laughs) trying to figure out why do people like TikTok so much? Then also those kids who do like to read don't necessarily like to do work with Mm -hmm. their reading. And we heard that a lot. And I think I feel like I most often heard it from my most avid readers. Yes. I love reading. I don't want to do your assignment with my reading. And I think from my perspective, if I were a student in my class, that's probably where I would have landed, would be like, I love to read. And when I was in school, I read every day. I didn't like having to do some sort of assignment with Mm -hmm. it. I did it because I didn't want the consequence of not doing it, but it definitely was a sort of reluctant, I'm just going to get it done. I remember always feeling so frustrated when I was like, I see you reading all the time. I have to tell you to put your Mm -hmm. book away and do our activity and then those students not doing reading logs and it was often because of that because they were like, I love reading but yeah, I'm not going to write a 10 sentence summary. I don't want to. And then there's also the issue and I would imagine that this is the case for a lot of teachers. We teach in Southern California. I'm not sure how it varies across the country (laughs) but our students reading levels vary widely. All over the place. We had students reading at second grade level all the way up to college level. And it can be really hard to come up with a program that addresses everyone's needs, Mm. that addresses everyone's interests, that is appropriate for both a student reading at a second grade level and a student reading at a college level. Mm -hmm. That can be hard. It can be really hard to create a library or Mm -hmm. make recommendations Mm -hmm. when your students vary so widely because you may choose something to recommend for your lower level readers that is accessible to them that then they don't read and your college level reads and you're like, well, it wasn't really meant for you. (laughs) Not that there's not value in that, but it's, I'm not hitting the right audience. (laughs) Yeah. And it gets hard at the high school level because books that are written at a second grade reading level aren't really appropriate for a Mm -hmm. high school student to be reading. It's so frustrating to watch our high school students reading Captain Underpants or Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and yet that was their reading level. And maturity-wise, you should be reading about teenagers, not Mm -hmm. about an Mm eight-year-old. But how do you navigate that when that is your reading level? Yeah. And there are books out there that are high interest for struggling readers in the middle and high school levels, but a lot of 
independent reading is self-selection. Mm-hmm. And I can expose you to those books, but kids will self-select Diary of a Wimpy Kid right. because that feels comfortable to yeah. them. Yeah. I think just our entire time as English teachers was this process of just trial and error. And it's especially hard because I feel like it's portrayed as this beautiful thing where if you do these really creative literature circles with art projects and students have these roles, they're going to not only take on this leadership responsibility, but they'll be engaged. They'll be really good readers. You'll be so blown away by what they can do. And then it's so discouraging to get into a classroom and be like, this is a hot mess. They're not reading. The work is ridiculous. They're socializing in their groups. And so it is really discouraging to feel like you're failing because it's being portrayed to you as this is how you make kids love to read and this works. And then, okay, then what am I doing wrong? Because it's not working for me. Yeah. We both at different times tried literature Mm -hmm. circles and it was not successful for either of us. No. As we were preparing, I was telling Stephanie that I did it in my first year of teaching and I've completely blocked out whether or not I did it my second year of teaching. (laughs) I want to say that I did, but I'm not sure. And I can only remember one group. Actually, everybody did what they were supposed to do. Everybody was reading the book. And that's saying something when you have that level of success that for whatever reason, I wasn't able to get it to work. And as Stephanie was saying, it's hard not to take that personally, especially because lots of us try it as new teachers Mm -hmm. and we feel very personally tied to Mm -hmm. the success and failure of what we try in the classroom. And so I'm sure that contributed to both of us being like, literature circles, no thank you. (laughs) I know that's my files tell me that I did it my first year. I have no memory of doing it with my standard level students. I do know at one point I tried doing it with AP and that just felt like a waste because it was like, maybe they're doing the reading, maybe they're not, but the discussions were so superficial. Even if you are doing the work, this isn't worth the class time that we're spending on this when I could be pushing you to have deeper discussions. And so I just never had an experience with it where I felt like this is a really good use of time. Yeah. So let's talk about our history a little bit beyond (laughs) the literature circles, which we're not bashing. We know lots of people who use it and have great success with it. Like we said, it did not work for us. We did lots of different things. The first school that I worked at, it could not have been any easier. All you had to do was write down the paper you read, write down the title of the book and get a parent signature. And I believe the goal was to read a thousand pages. I want to say per semester, but I don't really remember. Barely anybody did it. That always boggles my mind when it's essentially an assignment you could completely fabricate and it would take you three seconds and they don't do it. Part of me admires that you are so opposed to it that you aren't even willing to do that. So I admire that honesty. Uh I always tell students, I admire when you tell me you cheated, you admit to it. And then part of me is, but you're not playing the game. You're not working the system. (laughs) This could could not be easier. I can't even stop you from lying on this one. We also used a program at the school we worked at together many moons ago, used a reading counselor 
Kids program, which was a scholastic program. Mm -hmm. You took a quiz and passed or didn't pass. I do have to say those questions are a little bit arbitrary. Yeah. Not necessarily details that I remember from reading books, but no, it's certainly a step up from just tell me the pages you read and get a parent signature. It still doesn't account for, I did read the book. I just don't happen to remember these details. Or you get the kids who didn't read, but then one, we've taken the class to the computer lab, which that's a waste of time when nobody read for three kids to get their points. But also- (laughs) You can tell how long ago this was by the fact that we took- (laughs) Yes, to the computer (laughs) lab. But they also, I think it was frustrating because then the kids who don't read anything are just finding movies that are also books. And then it was also interesting. It sounds so arbitrary. I understand why we did it this way, but it was also by the number of words that you read, which was because at that time, the California state standards said you had to read a certain number of words per year. But that's really a terrible metric for measuring reading. And it was really detrimental to students who would actually read because we had AP students who would be, quote unquote, reading Les Miserables so they could get their word count. Even if you're reading that, which I'm doubtful of, you're surely not getting as much out of it as if you had just picked a book that was accessible. Yeah. (laughs) We also, the same thing, I know for a while we switched to Accelerated Reader, which if I remember correctly, had a lot to do with the choices. There were just more books on that. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. easier to use, I think, but it didn't really solve any of the problems. It was just yeah. a way to hold students accountable that yeah. was better than other ways. <laughs> yeah. I know our department was of the mind, yeah, this isn't working, but at least we don't have to yes. keep track of, yes, we did have to keep track of the words, but right. that was a math issue. We didn't have to create and grade assignments yeah. and things like that for books that we may or may not have read ourselves. (laughs) We have done reading logs. That was what I first explained, but it was on a weekly basis and it was on the back of their organizers. They didn't do that. Again, you got to admire the stick to itness of I'm not doing this, but also wonder what is your problem? What is your problem that you're not playing the game? Then we switch to reading logs. Uh I have blocked out whether or not I was in the group that came up with it. I feel like I might have been. I know I was involved somehow at some part of the process. This was very much one of those, we all knew it wasn't working, but we couldn't find a way to hold kids accountable Mm -hmm. that was not going to then be another project to grade or something like that. And I just remember in our particular class, I think it started out as like an easy credit, no credit. And then we were so frustrated at how poorly they were doing that it became this complicated point system of a point for this and oh you didn't underline your title and oh you have to number your sentences so that I can Mm -hmm. see them and it's two points for a signature and it really was an exercise in cheating they would copy each other they would copy a page out of the book and it was one of those things where it was like so few kids did it anyway that it was like training my eyes to just glaze over so I didn't notice that yes you could do that I could yeah it was torturous to grade them Mm -hmm. it destroyed their grades Mm -hmm. had my brother grading them at one point because I was just like, I don't want to do this. Help me out here. And it just, as such a waste of paper, I remember printing yeah. them for students. And then you have to print for everybody, even you though get not back. everybody's going to do it. Yeah. It was so frustrating because it was like that definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think we were expecting different results. I think it was just like, I don't have the capacity to yeah. come up with something better. Yeah. Then we knew we needed to make a 
change. And so we decided, okay, we're going to do more of a reading check-in type thing mm-hmm. and we'll alternate who's turning it in when so we aren't grading everybody's all the time. And we also introduced the idea of First Chapter mm-hmm. Friday. We did not invent First Chapter no. Friday <laughs> in order to try and bring student awareness and attention to various books. age-appropriate <laughs> books. Absolutely. When we started doing that we are in person mm-hmm. and we would just choose a book and read it. I have to say, I don't know how successful that was. For the most part, I think students enjoyed it. I do think though, because I was reading it out loud, it influenced the books that I picked mm. because, oh, I don't want to read that yeah. out loud. Oh, I don't want to <laughs> read that out loud. And so during distance learning, mm-hmm. we transitioned. And then when we came back, we kept it to recording mm-hmm. it. So using a sample of the audio mm-hmm. from the book and then asking two to three yeah. questions about the book, we recorded the pages so that uh-huh. they could see them and go back to them. And I would imagine that was the most successful activity that mm-hmm. we had associated with reading. I'm not sure how many students picked the books right. that we recommended. I think it was probably the best thing that we did. Yeah, I just think they seemed to enjoy it and most students would get a decent score on Mm -hmm. it. So just in that capacity of being exposed to different things, I would say I get what you're saying about it affecting what you choose to read. Once we were doing recordings, it was nice because we would take turns picking, which just brought different tastes in. Mm -hmm. The one thing I do miss about the in-person reading is I was more likely to have a student be like, can I have that book? It's right there. It's right in front of you when you're done, I want it. But even that was like three books. It wasn't like that was (laughs) happening on a regular basis. But I do feel like there was a little more immediacy of I want to read that right now. Yeah. At the beginning of the pandemic, our school district purchased access to the Sora library program. I thought that was really helpful. I know that there are definitely students and teachers who want that feeling of the book in their hands, but I liked the ability for students to be exposed to more books than I could have in my classroom. And it addressed a little bit that disparity between reading levels. I like that it removed any sort of excuse of, I forgot my book. I don't have a book because they have their Chromebook. And so great, go on Sora and find a book. And so it felt like even if they were reading a different thing every week, they did have that in front of their eyes on reading days, which was part of what we changed in the last few years, bringing that idea back of reading for relaxation, where you don't have to read off the AP required list. We're going to play quiet music. This can be a restful thing for you. And it was encouraging to see more students reading during that 30 minutes or whatever it was. I do think that we, as a school, tried for a really long time to make independent reading part of our homeroom class. And that never really worked. There's just something about a class where you have control of their academic grade Mm -hmm. that makes 
students far more willing to go along with things than mm-hmm. in homeroom where it's a citizenship grade and they right. don't want to read, so they're not going to read. And I do think devoting that time in English class to it was something that was worth the investment. Yeah. So our class periods are less than an hour. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you have a block schedule, it's going to be a little bit different. But we didn't have the room in our schedule to have students read for a little bit of yes. time every day. I know there are teachers even on our site who did that. But for us, we didn't feel it was a good use of our time. We were willing to sort of sacrifice a day each week, which ends up being the same amount of time. Yeah. But we all know transitions are long. <laughs> and that was our way of showing we think it's important. Mm-hmm. We think it's so important that we're willing to give a day of instruction. And students don't necessarily understand this, but they do understand, oh, she must think it's important mm-hmm. if we do it one day every week. And it was easy to because we made it. And I think most schools have this where there's a delayed start, modified schedule day. And those days can feel like such a waste anyway sometimes that it was nice to put it on a day where it already was disruptive to instruction. And so it was easier to just say, this is what we're going to do on this day. Yeah. So I think what really brought about the biggest change for us is we decided we need to make some change. And it was probably me being like, I can't do these reading logs anymore. (laughs) And so I, of course, went to the internet looking for different ideas. And I was reading this blog post about the value of reading just to read and not reading for academic purposes Mm -hmm. or in the case of an AP class, reading with an eye to improving your AP score. Because as Stephanie said, with her literature circles in AP, independently, they're not reading Mm -hmm. at a level where they're preparing to write an essay. I'm not reading at a a level (laughs) where I'm preparing to write an essay. That's something that really needs a group effort Mm -hmm. to truly prepare for the AP exam. Probably needs a teacher there with some formal instruction and prompting students in the direction and that sort of thing. So it was talking about the idea of valuing reading as an enjoyable Mm -hmm. activity. And that was something that I could get behind because that was always how I felt about reading. Reading for me was the equivalent of watching TV or seeing a movie. I enjoyed it. It was a retreat for me. And I knew that my students didn't see reading in that way. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of reading for fun Mm -hmm. was really something that helped to reframe it for me, especially with AP students and with honors students when and we taught them as well is that idea of this can be a recreational activity. And I remember it was beautiful when we first introduced it with our AP classes because our standard level students weren't really excited to read no matter right. what we did. But mm-hmm. I remember just that the first class of AP students the first year doing that being like, wait, we only have to do one reading check-in. There's no reading log. I can read whatever mm-hmm. I want. You're going to play music? I haven't read for fun in years. And they genuinely appreciated it. Like they would say, thank you. It was a little bit of a recapturing Mm -hmm. of kind of a childhood love of reading. I remember that year in particular, it was almost this like 
pure joy of, I haven't enjoyed reading since I read this series in sixth grade. That was really neat to see. So if you would like to know more about how we created a reading activity (laughs) that worked better than the signature reading logs, better than the three to five sentences for honors, pre-AP, and standard level classes, and 10 sentences for AP worked better than that then you'll definitely want to check out our YouTube video linked in the show notes. And we've also got a blog with the, I believe it ended up being seven. At one point it was six. And Mm -hmm. then seven books we recommended to students that they actually liked and read on their own and picked up the ball and ran with it and check those out as well. If you have some awesome suggestions, you have done activities with your students that have really been home runs, please reach out out to us on social media or email us at hello at threeheads.works. We would love to hear about your success stories. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope something we said resonated with you, that you commiserated with us about (laughs) our struggles, but hopefully you have found something that you can put to work in your classroom. If you have a dilemma you'd like to talk to us about or you'd like to hear us talk about, email us at hello at at threeheads.works. If you want to be notified of our next upload, be sure to follow us. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.